Hello listeners, this is Moose Jaw Matt. Welcome back to another episode here on Nature and Science for Kids. And this episode is kind of a mixture of catching up on some things. Before we get back into regularly scheduled episodes, we have quite a few coming up about animals and other things. With that said, let's get started on this episode with our theme song. Well, before the theme song, I want to say thank you for joining me here now. We can go to the theme song. Primarily on this episode, I want to answer some questions that some faithful supporters and listeners have sent in. I have three, no, actually four to answer, but... It's kind of like three. It'll make sense here soon why it's kind of three and not four. So let's get started with our first question from Wesley. Wesley, thank you for listening to the episode. Your question is, how does blood make scabs? Excellent question, Wesley. Very medical. So according to the University of Rochester... They say that within minutes or even seconds, blood cells start to clump together and clot, protecting the wound and preventing further blood loss. These clots, which turn into scabs as they dry, are created by a type of blood cell called a platelet. And according to kidshealth.org, these platelets stick together like glue to make a clot. It's like a bandage over your cut that keeps more blood and other fluids from flowing out. Ooh. Kids Health says that the clot also has other blood cells and thread-like stuff called fibrin. That makes sense. It's fibrous, thread-like fibrin. And that helps hold the clot together. Obviously, they're helpful because they keep more dirt, bacteria, or things from getting into your body. And it also helps you from losing more fluid, blood, and other fluids from getting out. What a helpful design that our bodies has built in. We go on to a question from Ansel. This question has been sitting there for a while, and now Ansel is time to be answered. Why do periwinkle snails come out of their shells when you hum to them? Well, Ansel, this is an interesting question. I actually don't have any personal experience with periwinkle snails coming out of their shells when I hum to them because I've never tried to hum to them. I've never picked one up that I know of. But nonetheless, according to blueoceansociety.org, they have a whole section about periwinkle snails. And one of the questions was, will humming make a periwinkle snail come out of its shell? And what they say is that this is a common misconception. The truth is that the periwinkle will come out without humming to it. After a periwinkle is picked up, it will hide in its shell, but then it needs to reorient itself so it comes out. Patience is all that is needed to see the periwinkle. So it's not really the humming as much as just it being held for a while. Patience is the key. I'm going to use that patience, that keyword patience, and go with it because in nature, if you are patient, you are often rewarded. One time I had bird seed in my hand, 
and I held next to a bird feeder, my hand, and I stood there for a long time. And after a while, this was a, by the way, that bird feeder was pretty popular. Birds were coming and going freely. Well, the bird started to land on my hand and eat seed out of the hand and then fly away. It took a while, though. It took patience. In nature, when we are patient, we are often rewarded with something neat. It's when we rush out into nature and we expect to see amazing things that we will probably be disappointed because if we're going in the woods loud and noisily, that's the same thing, loud and noisily, you get the idea. It's worth re-emphasizing the same word. If you go out loud or noisily, you're going to scare the creatures away. You're not going to see stuff. When I go out... When I go out birding, I'm quiet. I try not to let the animals know I'm there. And I've seen some neat things. So you can too, with patience. You might even see a periwinkle snail come out of its shell. Josiah asked a question. This is our third question here. And actually, you know what? I realized I said something incorrectly earlier. I was thinking three or four questions. No, it's four or five questions. This is question three from Josiah. Where can we find dinosaur bones? Based on my research, there are dinosaur bones everywhere, also known as fossils. They can be found on every single continent, including Antarctica. That, let's pause there. That means that either there were some really cold, tolerant dinosaurs in the past, or that the earth was not always cold like it has been, or dinosaurs were everywhere and maybe the earth didn't used to be like how it is now. Now, whether you believe in creation or evolution, I think it's easy to see that our earth in the past is not exactly, was not exactly as it is now. That's fair to say. The temperatures were different. The land was different. Things are changing and different than they used to be. Dinosaurs were everywhere. The most likely answer for why there are fossils in different places is because of a flood. By the way, you don't get fossils unless there's a quick, rapid burial. If an animal dies, let's say, hmm, Oh, I'm I'm reluctant to pick any animal, but I'm going to try to pick one that most people don't find too cute and cuddly. I'm going to go with a possum. I happen to think they're kind of cool, but we'll just go with a possum. Let's say a possum is unfortunately hit. It's on the side of the road. Is that possum going to become a fossil? Not likely. It's going to be scavenged. Other animals are going to come and eat it. It's going to decompose. It's going to smell terrible for a while. There's not going to be much left. The reason we have dinosaur fossils is because, or any fossils, even of plants, is because they would have been buried quickly. And the best, most logical explanation for that is the flood. Back to your question, Josiah. Where can we find dinosaur bones, dinosaur fossils? They're on every continent, 
But one of the best places is North America. In fact, the United States and Canada have a lot of dinosaur fossils, especially out west in places like Utah, Montana. Montana is really well known for its dinosaur fossils and up into Canada. Interestingly enough, those regions are high altitude regions. They have land that's about 5,000 feet in elevation, 4,000 feet, or even higher. And something happened during the flood where there's a lot of land out there. It was like large waves pushed sediment and piled it up. Here in the east where I live, the land elevation is not that high, not thousands and thousands. Our elevation is more like hundreds of feet, maybe a thousand So something was happening to push all of those fossils and all of that debris out there and pile it up. It just makes you wonder, hmm. There you go, Josiah. That's where you get your bones. Go to Montana or other places out west. Now, Everett, this is where we get to our fourth and fifth questions, which are kind of combined. Everett asked, where is the tallest tree in the United States? No, he actually asked, what's the tallest tree in the United States? And what's the tallest tree in the world? We also want to know where can we find them, of course. Listeners, if I were to ask you, where would you expect to find the tallest tree in the world? What type of tree would it be? We're going to answer all of those questions right now. You ready, Everett? You ready, everyone? Let's go. Let's go! Hyperion! Woo! That's the name of a tree. That's the tree. The tallest tree in the world is Hyperion. It's a coastal redwood in California. It's the United States' tallest tree and the world's tallest tree. And it's 380 feet tall. Almost 116 meters. You know what, listeners? That's taller than me, that's taller than you, that's taller than an oak tree or a maple tree, that's even taller than the Statue of Liberty, or for those over in London, is taller than Big Ben. This tree is huge, almost 400 feet tall. Everett, thank you for sharing that question, because I didn't know, but now I know. On to part two of today's show, now that we've answered some questions that have been lingering for a while, and thank you for your questions. It's time to say thanks. Thank you to Wesley, Liam, and Louie for being our most recent supporters on Patreon. But wait, there's more. I'd also like to thank Grace, Teresa, Cecilia, and Dominic for your support. But wait, there's still more. It's time to say happy birthday. Buckle your seatbelts, listeners. It's time for our birthday song. Happy birthday, happy, happy birthday. I said happy birthday, happy, happy birthday. I said happy birthday, happy, happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday, happy, happy birthday. Happy Happy birthday, happy birthday, yeah. So who are we saying happy birthday to? 
we are saying happy birthday to Hosanna Stone in Pennsylvania. I know, it's late. These are some belated birthdays. We're sorry. Jeremiah and May in the month of May. Isaac and Kira and Noah in the month of June. And then for this month, July, we have Avery and Hannah. Thank you for your support. The best is yet to come. Well, listeners, I'm Moose Jaw Matt. Until next time, keep exploring your world. <laughs>